God, please bless us today uh, in growing under your word. We thank you that every word of scripture is given for the building up of your church, for the growth of your people, for the blessing of us and to point us toward Jesus. So we pray that that's what would happen today, that we would grow as we see you more clearly. Amen. Well, a raging lightning storm, right? Can you imagine it? It's, it's one of the, of course you can, right? But, but it's one of the most powerful images uh, that, that really humanity's ever been able to come up with to, to, to capture our imagination. And it has captured our imagination, hasn't it? Uh, it's not hard to demonstrate that humanity has always been fascinated with lightning. Answer this question for me. Try this out. What do Beethoven, Vivaldi, Snow Patrol, Live, Pearl Jam, Bruce Springsteen, Eric Clapton, Cliff Richard, uh, Tina Turner, Duran Duran, Kiss, Bob Dylan, Passenger, ACDC, Garth Brooks, Imagine Dragons, Johann Strauss and Queen have in common? Well, technically they don't all sing about thunder because Beethoven didn't do a lot of singing, but... Uh, but yes, you're basically correct. That every single one of them used the imagery of lightning and thunder in their music, sometimes as, as something that they are impersonating, as, as the inspiration for a song, sometimes as a metaphor for something else to show the power of it. Uh, but, but really, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's this um, type songs about thunder and lightning into Google sometime, and you'll get never-ending lists of this because it's a striking image it's something that captures us and it's not hard to see why you'd use it as your picture of power right thunderstorms are the perfect intersection of common knowledge and tremendous power you know, ev almost every person has this personal experience multiple personal experiences really of thunder and lightning and how powerful it is i remember one time when i was growing up i was, I was sleeping peacefully in my bed out on the farm out here and suddenly I was woken up by this strike of lightning that was it felt like it was just outside my window and the house shook and my heart leapt out of my chest and I don't have the best memory in the world but I remember that moment like it was yesterday because it was terrifying <laughs> I, I did not wet the bed to my honor um, <laughs> that time thank you good buddies um, did you know, here's, here's some fun facts. National Geographic ma uh, magazine, website rather, they, they do these things on the internet these days, um, tells us that, uh, I, I just found this on there, T lightning can heat the air around it to five times the temperature of the surface of the sun. Get your head around that, right? How hot's the sun? I don't know, but it's fairly hot, I imagine. It can move at speeds of up to 300 million kilometers per hour. That's faster than me. Like, it has, it has a striking distance of at least 15 kilometers from the edge of the storm. Once again, further than I can throw. It's got enough electrical power in it to vaporize all of the moisture inside a tree and, and, and disintegrate the tree in an instant. Think about how long it takes you to cut up a tree if you're that sort of person. It takes me longer than average, we found out recently. But. Um, I think I think maybe my favourite uh, reminder of the power of lightning uh, comes in a photo by a fellow named Francisco Negroni. My apologies to him if he ever listens to this. I did not pronounce him correctly, I imagine. Uh, he took it in 2017. It's of an electrical storm that's wrapping itself around a volcano, essentially. Um, uh, <laughs> hard as it is to believe, that's not computer generated, right? That's an actual photograph of an actual lightning storm. 
it's it's in in Chile. Uh, it was taken, like I said, 2017. It's called a, a dirty electrical storm. Uh, they're, they're actually a phenomenon. There's quite a few of them. If you type dirty electrical storm into Google Images, I promise you mostly get really cool pictures of lightning storms. Um, and, and I'm not just laboring this because I love lightning. I do love lightning. I like things that explode. It's no secret. Um, but today we're approaching Psalm 29. And the thing is, when you read different parts of the Bible, different things come into to focus and into force, right? Um, Sometimes the, the clarity of the truth, you know, the, the, even the argument you might say, is just really striking. You know, you're like, oh, this is a really clear explanation of something. Sometimes it's, it's the, the compassion of God that really stands out to us, right? Sometimes it's the, the breadth of God's universal, his, his plan throughout all of history, over all of creation that stands out to us and so on. You know, there's, there's different focuses. And the same is true in the Psalms. Um, we see different perspectives, different uh, challenges in our lives that are being addressed. We see how we approach God in suffering, for instance, quite heavily. We saw that in, in the, the psalm that Tyler brought to us the other week. We see God as the unstoppable rock. We see him as the powerful refuge for his people. We see the, the justice of God and so on and so forth, right? And in Psalm 29, really what's on display is the raw weight of the power of God's voice. It comes into full view in this really striking way. And to try to express this, David, the guy who wrote this psalm, King David, uh, he uses this image of lightning and thunder, uh, just, just about the most powerful use of that imagery that I've ever heard. Open it up with me. Uh, we're in Psalm 29. We're going to read the first few verses. David writes, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. <clears throat> Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. So the scene here starts in heaven, essentially. Um, throne room of God sort of stuff. It's not talking about the, the cloudy place with the harps that we sometimes sold by television. Uh, the, the, it's the place where God's presence presence is fully revealed and his reign is fully seen. And David starts by calling every heavenly being to ascribe glory to God and fall down in worship of him. And it's not just going to leave it there. Um, in fact, this psalm works along a line. Uh, we're not going to labor this point, but uh, it, it, it moves from heaven down to earth uh, via the, the lightning storm, funnily enough, kind of like a bolt of lightning, if you will. Uh, and now David is going to make this poetic case, though, for why it is, why it is that everything should fall down and glorify God, why it is that all creation should worship him. And seven times he's going to use these words, the voice of the Lord. And he's going to remind us of the, of the might of God's words, essentially. So here we are, verse three, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. So David starts to paint this picture of the power of God's voice like a thunderstorm raging in over the sea. Do you see it there? 
He thunders over the many waters. And he expands that picture as we move on. Read, read on with me. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Now remember that, the, the, the lightning shattering the tree, right? The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf. Lebanon's a country, by the way. And Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Raw power is, is the imagery here, right? It's, it's funny, it's kind of like that image that Tyler brought to us the other week uh, of, of, of the great storm coming in off the sea and the mountains falling down, except for this time he's using a similar picture to express this is what God's power is like, his, his, his raging power. And it's funny, the, the, the interesting, the particular places he's naming here, Lebanon, Syrian, Kadesh, they're, they're intentional. Um, they're, they're being described for a reason. This this. Storm destroys the cedars of Lebanon and makes Syrians skip like a calf. Both of those are places up in the north, just uh, up above Israel, right? Above, above that nation. And the storm also shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The wilderness of Kadesh is the wilderness south of Israel where the Israelites hung out before they came into the promised land. So at the very least, this storm stretches across the whole coast of the Middle East. It stretches over all of Israel. Big is the point, if you hadn't, hadn't gathered it quite yet. Uh, you know, hundreds of kilometres at least. Imagine this, though, from David's perspective, right? He'd be in Jerusalem, we can imagine. And he's sitting in that city, looking down from the mountain toward the sea, and, and the lightning storm is coming in. It's big enough to shatter the forests of the nations to your north, and it's big enough to shake to their core the nations to your south. Uh, it stretches as far as the eye can see, maybe over the whole world, right, from his perspective. That's what the voice of the Lord is like. His words are powerful beyond measure. And you know what the difference is between, between David and, you remember all those musicians I mentioned at the start, right? The difference between him and them is that they're using this picture they are using this picture uh, either because they're inspired by lightning itself and its power and they just want to express how powerful lightning is or they're trying to use it as a metaphor for something else. And really that's, that's a thing called hyperbole. It's, it's taking something bigger and trying to make something smaller look bigger by using something big. But David doesn't use it like that because th the thing he's trying to describe is bigger than can be imagined. Um, he's trying to describe God. And he's got no image for that, right? There's no, there's no sufficient one. No metaphors that sufficiently describes God. The first words of the Bible. What are the first words of the Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? In that sentence there, and, and incidentally, sorry, let, let's, let's take note. In the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do it? He did it with his voice. He says, let there be light, and there was. He says, let there be, just insert anything in all of creation here, and there was. In that concept, you lose the possibility of ever having a sufficient metaphor for God's voice. Right? God's voice created everything. What are you going to compare to it? Um, <laughs> it and so David takes this thunderstorm, raging, uh, 
uh, across the whole coast of the Middle East, and he goes, I guess that'll have to do. You know, it, it, it will be good enough for now. He's, he's taking something infinitely bigger, the power of God's word, the power of God when he speaks, and he's trying to give us this little glimpse of it, this little shadow of what that's like. And then he comes to, we come to verse 9, uh, and David brings us to how we are to respond to the awesome power of the voice of the Lord. He writes, the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare and in his temple all cry glory. There's the lightning bolt hitting the ground, by the way. There's, there's the people of God's kingdom reflecting the kingdom of God in heaven. It, it might seem a bit gratuitous in some ways to sit here and to compare God's voice to an enormous thunderstorm, but this is actually a really important thing. Uh, that, that can really easily get lost is the power of God. It, it, it doesn't get loads of airtime these days. Uh, it's, it's, it's really easily for us to just blindly miss the weight of God's might. God's powerful beyond compare. When he speaks, it happens. He speaks with power. And that's important for us because as Christians, uh, we've often missed the reality. Sometimes we really emphasize the love and the compassion of God, and rightly so, by the way. You know, God's love and compassion are central. Uh, but sometimes we emphasize them to the loss of his power and his might, and that's silly, I suppose, is the best word I can come up with for that. We, the, the power of God's might is what... what convinces us of the power of God's love. We're going to see that as we go on. Uh, and with that in view, we should note that, that really the final line of verse line, uh, verse 9 in Hebrew, it literally just says, or literally can be translated anyway, as the whole temple cries glory. Do you know what the New Testament calls you if you've believed in Jesus? It's got a few words for you, don't get me wrong. Uh, but 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, you are God's temple and his spirit is in you. At Pentecost, the fire and the wind. You know, it's an interesting connection with this psalm. The spirit of God comes and dwells in his people. And he is in everyone who trusts in Jesus. That makes you a temple made to cry glory. The summary of what our lives are called to do, the whole of it, as people indwelled by the Spirit of God, is what we find here, to cry glory in light of who our God is and what he's done. When Jesus taught us to pray, what's, what's the first thing he said, right? He said, our Father in heaven, heaven our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name which really means let everything there is sit in amazement of the holiness, the glory of our God. Let me just mention an aside here. This, um, it's, it's September now, so, so too, too early for me to start talking about Christmas, and yet here we go anyway. Uh, it reorients how we look at that, at, at the events that we celebrate at Christmas time. Um, we're so prone to approach the birth of Jesus, uh, this thing that we call the incarnation, in kind of a, ah, oh, isn't it nice sort of way? Isn't this pleasant? 
There's a baby. I like babies. And there's, there's these guys in hats, wise men, and there are angels, and that's lovely. Um, and, 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 you know, the shepherds. Don't forget the shepherds and the tea towels, right? Um, tea towels aren't the original story. Uh, but, but, but doesn't this just reorient that, right? Doesn't this um, just put the arrival of Jesus into its right context? Read these words again. The glory of the Lord thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. From this perspective, what might we have expected to happen when Jesus arrives, when, when God comes down to his creation, right? When he steps foot into the world. What? John 1, 1 calls calls Jesus the word of God. So here's the voice of the Lord coming down to the earth. What might we have expected to happen? The word was with God and the word was God. God's voice. Here. Yeah, I tell you what, I might have expected. Uh, sure, go. Yeah. Reminds me, I've still got that up there. Um, you know, fire, flood, destruction, judgment, right? Seems like the likely option when you look at Psalm 29. You know, like, like he touches the earth and the earth turns to ash and everything ceases to be for all of creation. That's what we might have expected. You know, remember the tree, the, 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 the vaporized, disintegrating tree, that, but with creation, right? This is what really gives Christmas its true wonder. This is what gives Christmas its power. There's this beautiful Christmas song that really captures this really well. It's, it's not a really well-known one, but it says, See the mighty, weak and tender. See the word who now is mute. See the sovereign without splendor. See the, the fullness destitute. Like, like, like the raging storm comes down as a, as a baby. That the voice of the Lord doesn't even speak. Cries. Comes, constrains himself to be a man. That the, the mighty God would come down at all is, is breathtaking, right? But that he would come down in tenderness and smallness and humility to love us is beyond imagining, right? That, that the lightning storm would be silent and small is, is more than we could have ever hoped for. In the last two verses of this psalm, David um, finally takes this image of the power of God and he, he concludes by basically saying, well then, this is who God is then. And he places then, uh, sorry, he then places the, the reign of the mighty God. He says, God is the king. And he places that in relation to humanity in two ways. That the, the two ways, incidentally, that God interacts with all of creation, all of humanity. He writes, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. So there, God is king, quite clearly. He sits enthroned. But notice what God is enthroned over, right? It's not just the waters anymore. It's the flood. It's a, it's a direct and intentional link there to to the global flood, to the judgment flood of Genesis. 
You know, that, that word, the Hebrew word there for flood, it shows up 11 times in the Old Testament only. Ten of them are in Genesis 6 through, 10, 6 through 11. One of them is in Psalm 29. The Lord sits enthroned in judgment, is what he's saying. God's power reigns in judgment. This is not the most popular reality in the world, uh, it's, it's fair to say. But the Bible is painstakingly clear. God will judge the whole earth. This makes sense, right? This fits well at the end of this psalm when you've got lightning and thunder and water and floods and things like, you know, judgment. That that seems to make sense here. Every human being, man, woman, living, dead, Australian, you know, Chinese, uh, Ethiopian, let's say, will stand under the judgment of God one day. And every one of us left to our own devices would be rightly condemned there. The storm of God's word will fall in condemnation and he will be right to do it. But if that fact, the, the, the God of judgment, that God reigns in judgment, seems to fit really well with this psalm, uh, frankly, I think that the last verse just seems to jar. It, doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't seem to fit well at all with what he said so far um, with the thunder and the lightning. R- read this with me. We'll, we'll give it the context of verse 10 again. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace, particularly that last word, right? Thunder, lightning, peace. (laughs) I can't believe I just used brr as part of the sermon. Anyway, um, strength and peace, blessing for peace for his people. Isn't that, isn't that astounding? This, it just doesn't seem to fit. It seems like a contradiction of terms, doesn't it? Um, the lightning storm brings us peace. This psalm takes the terrifying might of God and places it in ruling judgment over all of creation and then says, and he's going to bless us with peace. It, I, I, was it meant to be Psalm 30 there for one verse? I don't know. Like, there, we're a part of creation. I don't know if you've noticed that. Um, I'm sure you have. Uh, and, and therefore, God's people deserve verse 10, not verse 11. We've deserved the judgment, not the peace. What's going on here? You know, in... To get to it, we need to we need to go somewhere else. Uh, in, in Luke twenty four, when when Jesus is walking that Emmaus road, right, uh, with with those two followers of his, it's after he's risen from the dead, and we hear that he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. He took all of the Old Testament. Wouldn't it be nice to have been there? Uh, he took all of the Old Testament, and he goes, and here's how it's all about me. And that's, that's, our, that's our way of understanding the whole Old Testament, by the way, and all of Scripture, by the way. It's all about Jesus. It, none of it makes its fullest sense without him. And it's, it's at the cross of Jesus that we see the tension that we have at the end of Psalm 29, really, really resolved, perfectly and finally realized and resolved. The mighty word of God, Jesus, He shows us how the lightning and the thunder 
and, and, and the flood of the voice of the Lord brings his people peace. The lightning storm of God's judgment comes down, right? Thunderstrike comes in full force, the whole storm in one go on Jesus himself. God the Son comes and bears it for us, the weight of the fire, and he gives us peace. God's, God's mighty beyond compare, right? And in Jesus, his might is focused fully in grace on his people. He pours out his power in love and grace toward us. Yeah, this ought to uh, reorient us as a people in, I think, uh, just three ways. Well, plenty of ways, but I'm going to choose three. Um, we, we are to give glory to God for who he is. We, we, and we do that. We bring glory to God when we refuse to fear the world. right? When we're bold in following God. Because he's the storm, right? What else could stand against? We glorify God in light of his power when we show that we trust in the power of God. That brings him glory because it shows in our lives that he really is powerful. And we, we, we do that by being willing to be weak by being willing to be in a power of not strength and yet to trust him and walk forward anyway in following him. You know, I may in my workplace be feel like the least and the lowest, the new guy, the rookie, and yet, and yet I can move forward and, and, and speak God's word into the lives of others and care and love others um, because, because I know the might of the God who is with me and I can trust his strength. Paul says over in Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. See, it's not just knowing that God is powerful, that he's mighty, that enables us to move forward as people. It's knowing that he is mighty and he is for us. He is for you, Rod Redaway. And, and, and but but <laughs> mightily so and you can know that for sure you can know that he loves you powerfully you can know that certainly because Jesus died if he did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us what wouldn't he give you know in what sense could he not be for us if that is how he is for us So on the ground, you know, this looks like the power to love others because you know the love of God. You know the power of God is for you in Jesus. This looks like being willing to give of, 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 of money, of time, of, of, of your everything, of your life. Because you know the power of God is with you and has given so much more to you than you will ever be able to give to anyone else. Second thing, this also looks like living in the truth that God does give peace to his people. That's that's the word that stood out to me from this whole psalm, to be honest, peace. Um, 
it's just like this uh, a light bulb at the end of a dark room. It's 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 striking. We re- we refuse to find our peace elsewhere as God's people, and that's important because because frankly we don't like like I say that like it's a reality. But actually, we're so tempted. We're so often led to to seek peace in the world, to seek peace elsewhere, and yet true peace is found in God. True rest is in Him. You know, we look to his word. That's an obvious one from this psalm, the voice of the Lord. We look to his voice and we realize that it's not just a place where we're dutifully called to go and do some reading time. It's a place where we find peace for our souls. We look to his community, to the people around us who who speak his word into our lives. And we realize that's an opportunity for us to experience peace. We look to him in prayer. We look to his spirit within us. And we realize God is ministering peace to us day by day. Finally, I think this calls us to compassion toward a world that needs to know, doesn't it? So often Christians kind of catch verses 1 through 10 of this psalm and we go, God's got a judgment. Better go and judge some people, I suppose. Some one of his people. That's that. Yeah, you're missing verse eleven. Like it. <laughs> we we glorify God to the world around us because God's judgment is real. Because they can be saved by the one who has saved us. The judgment's been carried. We refuse to be afraid of the world and to be afraid of the judgment of others. We must, we must know that God is greater and that they need him. We refuse to be so proud as to just condemn. You know, to go, oh, you, you're saying things that are offensive to me. How often have we seen this in Christian culture? You're, you're offensive to me because you're doing things that don't match my Christian values. You know, look at Jesus. Think his values were matched by the disciples <laughs> when they fought over who was the greatest? When they you know, gave up when he died, when they ran away from him? What did he do? He died for them, right? We're called to be the emissaries of that peace. We're called to be the people who bring the message of the grace that we've received because because we so often lose sight of the fact that we're the people who were under judgment, right? We deserve that. You want to see the sinners who you should be condemning? Look at yourself. And yet don't because God has saved you. Because Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient for you. And only that is sufficient for you. And only that is sufficient for everyone. And so we carry it to others with joy because we've received it and we can give it. And his power is mighty to save. Why don't we have a little pray? Uh, Jesus, thank you. (laughs) Lord, we look at this and we we read about the the thunder and the lightning of the power of the voice of our God and we think, it's terrifying. Rightly understood. If If we sat on the beach of Israel and saw a thunderstorm that stretched in every direction as far as we could see and that would swallow up the whole earth in its wrath. 
we would be so terrified, Lord. And yet that's a glimpse of the power of our God. And yet, Jesus, you carried the full weight of the storm of, your, of, of, of the wrath of the Father for us. Lead us, Lord, to be a people who, who live in light of that truth. Let us bring glory to your name by being ready to be weak because we can trust in your strength. Let us bring glory to your name by, by living in this truth that you have loved us. Let us give glory to your name in compassion towards a world that needs you, that doesn't deserve you, and neither did we. And neither do we. Send us as your people who bring strength and peace, who are a blessing to those around us, because you have loved your people and you would call more in. Send us, Lord, as a people who have the power of the storm and the love of their God breathing out of their mouths. We pray in the name of Jesus, our beautiful Saviour. Amen.